We're in the last week of a short series. We're talking about the men who missed Christmas. Began with the the king, King Herod, and then with the chief priest, and we'll end with the innkeeper. If you have your worship folder, open it. And then there's a sheet in there with some scripture written on it. We'll work our way through that. We'll think about human anxiety and divine peace. Read Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. As Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. and She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. What we know that night in Bethlehem, an innkeeper was confronted by a man and his pregnant wife, and he turned them away, saying that he had no room for them. The inn could have been anything from a full-fledged bed and breakfast to a guest room and a house to a lean-to on somebody's property. Whatever the case, an innkeeper in Bethlehem missed that first Christmas. He came right to his door, knocked on his door, and he missed it. His inn or guest room or his lean-to shelter was full. The, the town was crowded and the innkeeper was busy. Busyness. We get that. We understand busyness. Um, Christmas, we're especially busy. We're just coming down from that, some of us. Shopping and banquets and parties and concerts and school activities all compete for our attention. Significantly, when we think of this guy, the innkeeper, uh, there's no indication that he was hostile or unsympathetic. We can't really throw any darts at this guy. He was just busy. That's all. Just busy. Um, they conducted an experiment, I told you before, at Princeton Seminary some years back. They conducted this, the experiment with 67 students at Princeton Theological Seminary, told them, these 67 students had them gather, told them that it was a study about religious education and about vocation. Some were asked to give a short talk about the types of jobs that seminary graduates would be suited for, so they were dispatched to do that. Others were asked to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. So they went their way, each thinking, half of approximately the 67, that they were on different missions. Um, while making their way to the other office to give their talk, be it on the Good Samaritan or on the opportunities for seminary graduates, they would encounter an experimental confederate lying in a doorway, doubled over, eyes closed and coughing, clearly in distress. And here was the question. Would they stop to help? Would it make a difference that they were talking about seminary opportunities? Would it make a difference that they were talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan where the, he stops by and he helps somebody in distress? They were given a map and one of the following three instructions. So they divided the group in half and they divided those halves into thirds. 
to one group, they said, oh, hey, you're late. They were expecting you a few minutes ago. You, you better get moving. Second group, the assistant is ready for you, so please go right over. And to the third group, ah, it'll be a few minutes before they're ready for you, but you might as well head on over. So they, they left the office, some thinking they needed to go quickly, others less so, others pretty relaxed. Each of these conditions was split in two again. So with each of these three degrees of hurry, they were going either to do the seminary talk or the Good Samaritan talk. Um, so the question was, what happened? Here's what we know. The type of talk did have an effect on whether they offered help. Of those asked to talk about careers, about 29% of those stopped to ask, is there anything I could do for you? They, they came on, they stopped en route, and they tried to do what they could to to alleviate the suffering of this clearly aging person who is a plant there. Um, those asked to give the talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan, about half, 53% stopped. The amount of the what they were talking about, that wasn't the big deal, though. The greatest difference was what kind of hurry they were in. Those who in a low hurry, they felt like they had enough time, 63% stopped. Those who were told that you're right about on time, about 45%. Those who were told you had to get there, 10% stopped. So they've analyzed this thing, but clearly um, they were in too much of a hurry to stop, and we can understand that. If you're doing a number of different things, it's hard to stop, hard to pull over. Interestingly, with respect to just being busy, the Bible identifies busyness as an obstacle, a challenge that can get in the way of connecting meaningfully with God. Look what it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 14 through 15. Luke chapter 8, verse 14 through 15. Jesus is telling a story, parable, and he said, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those who, those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. God's will is straightforward. Uh, hear the word, retain the word, persevere, produce a crop. We looked at God's will in Romans chapter 12. Next week we'll be going into Romans chapter 13 where it moves from the will of God to the law of God. And what does it mean to be one nation under God? And What about the law of the land and the law of love? And how does that intersect? What's our relationship to the church? What's our relationship to the state? And Romans 13 will have some stuff to say about all of that. So, um, But here God's will is defined in these words. Hear the word. Not just hear it. Retain it. Retain it means hold on to it. Make room for it. Hear the word. Retain the word. Persevere. Produce a crop. What gets in the way of experiencing God's will? Which is hear, retain, persevere, produce a crop. What gets in the way of that? What keeps us from reproducing spiritually? 
the fruit of the Spirit. Or it says God's word becomes choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. This word choked is found twice. In the original language, it's Greek. And this word is translated differently, but where it's translated, it gives us an image for how this choking influence work. It's not translated choke. Let me read later on in Luke chapter 8, verse 41. Here's what it says. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a daughter of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And that's the word that's translated choked. It's choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Here, it's translated crushed. And that really is the image. Jesus was in a house. Jairus is saying, come with me. And so Jesus goes outside, and he's inundated by people, thronged by people. He steps out the doorway, and they're massing around him. And they are choking him, but they're not choking this way. They are inhibiting him from moving from point A to point B. There are so many people around him that he can't move. He can't be heard. He can't go from here to there. And that's the image of worries, riches, and pleasures. It's not that they actively throttle the word, that they oppose it, that spiritual things are bad. It's not that. It's that they inundate the mind so preoccupied with worries, riches, and pleasures that God's word ends up getting pushed to the side. It's not hostile. It's just, well, it's like the thing that happens with a computer virus. When it's so busy cycling through, when it's got a virus, a computer can't do the work that you'd like to have it to do. The mind is the same way. Worries, riches, and pleasures move into our thinking. We can't not think about these things. But the challenge is, worries, riches, and pleasures are able to exert influence to push the things that God would want us to think about over to the side of our consciousness so that we're not impacted or influenced by them. I was challenging. You can't go around thinking about God all day. So how do we deal with this? And again, we can't throw a Penalty flag at the innkeeper. We're all busy. He was busy. We're busy. It's a busy season. How do we deal with busyness in such a way that it allows us to continue to hold God's thoughts in a place so that we're able to remember those four things? Hear, retain, persevere, goose a crop. And how do we resist the crowding, choking influence of worries, riches, and pleasures? That's what we'll try to figure out. This is the innkeeper who is consumed with activity, not sinful activity, just things that kept him busy. Again, the, the issue is not sinful thoughts. It's just thoughts in general. Now, the Bible is clear about the influence of preoccupation, not just with respect to missing Jesus' first coming, with respect to missing a second. Look what it says in Luke 21. Jesus is speaking to his followers. 
he addresses, he directs their attention at a fig tree. He goes, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, and you know that the kingdom of God is near, he's just been talking about the things that will be happening when his second coming arrives. The Bible talks about two comings of Jesus. The first one, Christmas. The second one, in some future time, where Jesus will come back a second time. And he talked about the different things that will be happening. There will be wars and threats of war, and things will be kind of a mess. And then in the midst of all that, Jesus will come back. He's been talking about that. And um, he said, be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly, like a trap. You know the way a trap works. You're walking around thinking, I don't have anything to worry about, and boink, you know, you get some kind of a trap. What Jesus indicates is that's what's going to happen. People will be caught up with things. Dissipation and drunkenness. Not just that, but the anxieties of life. Um, be careful. When he says, Jesus says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. Be careful literally means hold on to something. You know, there's something you want to keep in your eye. You want to keep in your mind. You want to keep a focus on. And that's what he's saying. Hold on to this. And he goes on, the something is that God will bring this earthly existence to an end. Again, there's all kinds of talk about global warming. Is that having an impact? Yeah, very well could. This world will not end because of global warming. It will end because God brings it to an end. This world will not continue to exist ad infinitum. At some point, God is going to go. That's it. And the existence that we know now will be no more. The earth and this present physical existence will burn up in some way, and then the next iteration of God's will will exist, and God will bring things to a close. Um, and that's what Jesus talks about. He tells his followers, hold on to the realization that Jesus will come a second time. And when he comes a second time, it won't be gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child, a little baby Jesus, cute little six-pound, nine-ounce Jesus. <laughs> He'll be large and in charge. Won't be any doubt about it. Won't be the humility. He will be in place to bring things to an end. It will be sudden, swift, not anything that can be resisted. When he speaks his word, that's going to be it. Um, why is it necessary to keep this in mind? Jesus said, be careful. You want to keep this in mind. Things aren't just going to wear down. It's going to end. Why keep it in mind? Because failing to remember causes our hearts to be weighed down. You know what anxieties do to the heart? They weigh it down. Things that need to be attended to. Things that need to be done. Our hearts have been weighed down through this season. Lots of stuff to do. You know, as you think about the upcoming year, lots of things to do. Life does that. It has this weighed down experience on us. It talks about dissipation and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. It throws those three things together. 
you talk with somebody who knows anything about addiction, they will connect anxiety and addiction. No matter what the addiction is, uh, Mark Lawrenson often says, individuals who are alcoholics, they don't have a drinking problem. They have a drinking solution. Not a drinking problem, a drinking solution. What's the problem? A thinking problem. And the thinking problem has to do with how am I going to do everything I need to do? How am I going to get it done? I can't control me. I can't control her. I can't control him. I can't control work. I can't control things. Life is unmanageable. And this feels awful. It feels way down. So what ends up happening, if you feel way down, you want to get some relief. That's one way to get relief. Alcoholic addiction or pill addiction or all kinds of addictions. Places that you try to get away from thinking about things. It can be a religious addiction. You know that? Religious addiction is when you go, but you're not real with God or with one another. It's a place to escape. Now again, it's, it's really nice to have a place you can think about what God would say. And that's, we'll talk about that. But there's some individuals who say, if you're truly spiritual, you take all those things you shouldn't be thinking about, you know, those worldly things, and you set them aside, because God doesn't really want you thinking about all those worldly things. He understands it. He spent time in a body. God understands what it's like to be inundated with lots of stuff to do. He gets it. And we can talk to him about that. He doesn't want us to set that aside. In fact, that leads to problems. It talks about the anxieties of life. Anxiety is, is a really good word. It's, it's a divided mind. Divided mind. And the classic illustration of a divided mind, you're going to understand very well, especially some of you who spent time in the kitchen this past week. You know, you got lots of people coming over. Everybody's in the living room. You know, watching the Christmas special, watching the book. No, it's okay. I've got it. Now, let me, let me finish up all these preparations here. No, 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 don't, don't inconvenience yourself. Just, that's right, honey, you can just sit there with all the guests. And so, Martha, Mary, Jesus was over at their house. He was a really good friend. Lived a couple miles from Jerusalem. So Martha's doing all the preparations. She's the oldest. She's responsible. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. Isn't that nice? Martha is anxious. And literally, where Martha was, you're going to get this. She needed to be in two places at the same time. She needed to be in the kitchen because it was necessary to provide food. It's not a bad thing, is it? No. But she also needed to be where Mary was, at Jesus' feet. Which part of her wanted to be with Jesus? Which part of her? She was anxious. Wants to be in two places at the same time. That's what anxiety is. I need to do this and I need to do that. And I can't remove that and I can't remove this. I'm stuck. You experience that? Experience that? Needing to be in two places, doing two things, separate things. Both of these had been drilled into her. She understood, well, Jesus encouraged us to sit at his feet, but 
my culture encouraged me that I need to be hospitable. And that's what Martha was dealing with. That's anxiety. The inability to land on one thing and try to figure out how we're going to be able to pull this off. That's human anxiety. Let's talk about divine peace. Let's talk about divine peace. Matthew 9. says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was looking at people doing what people do. He could have been at the mall. He could have been at a downtown, anywhere in the United States or Israel. Any people were not, they were just doing what people do. No more, no less. And he's just observing them. Um, in Jesus' opinion, his opinion is interesting. If we're standing with him, looking at what he's looking at, and we see him and he's looking carefully, if he asked us, what do you see? We'd say, I, I just see a crowd of people. I think they're going to work and looks like they're going to buy stuff for a meal and those people are going over to visit that guy and that guy's going to work, I think. And it, yeah, nothing unusual. What Jesus said, these people look mistreated to me. They look harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, harassed means to be troubled or annoyed. Troubled or annoyed. And helpless is to be thrown down. If you're a sheep and you're thrown on your back, sheep has these little stubbly legs. You know, they have these big bodies, little stubbly legs. And if they're thrown down, they have a hard time getting back up. That's why the, the shepherd has a crook. So we can help with yourself. Um, that's what Jesus sees. He attributes their hurried condition to the lack of care. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, interesting. They needed to take care of themselves because there was no one else they could depend on. They were facing life without someone to trust in. You might have heard the difference between fear and anxiety. Fear is the natural response to facing a perceived threat. Natural response to facing a perceived threat. If you feel threatened, fear will be the natural response. I talked to somebody once who said, well, I can't be afraid because fear is a sin. You can't control fear. It's going to happen whether you want it to happen or not. You're going to become afraid. In fact, what we know is the eye is connected since the Nerves in the eye are connected to the survival part of your brain, which isn't the part of your brain that is conscious. It, it reacts very quickly. It's the part of the brain. They talk about sometimes people have reaction to danger before they even know what they're alerted to. The mind picks things up. And, and so the reason is because this nerve goes right from the eye to that survival part of our brain before it goes to the more conscious part of our brain. That's why you can be afraid before you even know you're afraid. You can be reacting in a survival way before your thinking brain even realizes you can't control fear. Fear is the natural response to a perceived threat. Anxiety is the natural result of facing it alone. 
facing it alone. Fear is the natural response to a perceived threat. Anxiety is the natural response to facing it alone. Jesus looks around at these people, harassed and thrown down like sheep without a shepherd. Interesting. Jesus wasn't angry with these people. He had compassion on them, like sheep without a shepherd. When we face an uncertain future, we naturally wonder, how am I going to get it done? You think about what your family is going to endure this coming year. You're with family. You don't know how long she or he's going to be around. What's going to happen to him or her? This happens to him or her. What am I going to do? I'm going to have to do this or that. And we feel that. It lands on us. It weighs on us. A lot of things to, to deal with. Easy for us to get to a place where we ask questions. If you're looking into the future and you see these things dangling, we wonder sometimes, am I on a good road or a bad road? Am I in a good road or a bad road? I look at where things are going and I don't see anything good. You ever do that on a trip where you kind of zone out? Everyone, when we take trips, I like to listen to books on tape. And whenever we, I'm cheap, so we end up driving through the night and I never stop at a motel. Oh, are you kidding me? Stop at a motel? Never happened. So I'm going to drive and, you know, I'm just, and listening to books on tape and, and so sometimes, every once in a while, I miss an exit. Okay. And then you know what that's like. And so you start to look, oh, this doesn't look familiar. And then you don't know if you're on the right road or the wrong road. And then you see things you've never seen before. That's how you get that. Um, we might have a good path or a bad path. We do that when we look at our lives. We face things we haven't faced before. And we wonder, I don't know where this is going. We look at where things are now. We imagine where things are going to be if things continue to happen. And we project out into the future. And once we determine that we have a, we're on a bad path, we feel way down. You know what the deal is with the sheep? What we know about sheep? Not tremendously intelligent. Sheep are very easily annoyed and made helpless. Sheep aren't really in a good place to ask and answer the question, am I on a good path or a bad path? You know what a, a better question for a sheep is? And it just happens to be a better question for all of us. Not am I on a good path or a bad path. Do I have a good shepherd? See? It's the job of a shepherd to make sure the path is good. We get stuck asking the wrong question. Am I on a good road or a bad road? And the question is, do you have a good shepherd? I'll ask you, think of the future, 2015.
2025, 2035, do you have a good shepherd? It's an important question because you're going to face things. But if you understand you have a good shepherd, you will be less anxious. Because fear is a natural response to a perceived threat. You're going to face things that you're going to be frightened at. Anxiety is the natural result of facing it alone. Do you have a good shepherd? There are things to keep in mind. A couple of instances over the last years, I've been with somebody who faces, faces really the thing that's most frightening, death. Opportunity to observe a couple of individuals, and it was interesting with them. They both were aware of Psalm 23, and they were in a semi-alert and not alert state, where they were continuing to breathe, but not totally with it. And on a couple of different occasions, I was talking about the 23rd Psalm. One time, the individual was distracted and anxious, trying to get up. He laid back down. Another case, the person was in and out, not really focusing. He started to say those words, and there was a focus, an awareness, drawing something. I want you to think about your path. And the shepherd that you do have, follow along with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, you think about the shepherd. He not only takes care of you when you're stopped, take care of you when you're moving on a road. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even with enemies, the shepherd is there. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, you know, I'd recommend make room for passages like that. Make room in your mind for it. And if you make room in your mind for passages like that, passages that talk about care, I think you'll find that those passages are not moved as easily. When worries, riches, and pleasures inundate the mind, if there are passages like that, they don't tend to move as much, especially if you... Remember, we talked about the four things for God's will. Remember them? Hear the word? Retain it. You know what they say? You don't retain much about what you hear. You retain more of what you read. You retain more of what you memorize 
you retain the most of what you memorize and meditate on. I've got a thought for you. I bet you some of you, in fact, I've heard different people, you know, it's the first of the year. I am going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to start in Genesis, work my way through. February, Exodus, Leviticus, oh, there we go. And then I'll do, I'll take care of it next year. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I'm not saying do. I, I've got a, something for you. Memorize Psalm 23 and meditate on it for a month. What about that? Memorize this Psalm. Six verses. Then think about it. Think about it every morning for just a little bit. Go over it in your mind. When you memorize it and then you meditate on it, you just think about it. Chew on the words. Some of you write about it. Do it for a month. Do it for two months. And if you do, you'll retain more of it. And what you'll find? Stuff like that sticks with you. Even on your deathbed, it can stick with you. Um, Having Scripture tucked away makes sense. But don't just listen to what God says. Speak to Him. Look at the last verse. Don't just listen to Him. Speak to Him. It says, let your gentleness, the last verse, Philippians 4, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxious, the same word, distracted. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What it says here, the peace of God is the antidote for anxiety. The peace of God is not an emotion here. Be careful. This is not a peaceful feeling. So, I want to make clear about that. Because sometimes if we misunderstand what something does, then we think it's not working. And so, like this thing here, it's, it advances a slide. If I'm, this is something you think, well, if this turns Mike off, it's not turning him off. That's what they say sometimes. If don't worry about if people are looking at their watch. If you're a preacher, if you're a minister, worry when they start to hit it. You know? <laughs> um, but if, if you know what this thing, you know when it works and when it doesn't. When you present your request to God, it does not say you're going to get peaceful feelings. The peace of God is not an emotion. It's more like a military presence or the bouncer in a bar. That's what God's peace is like. It's it's something powerful. It's not a nice emotion. It's something guards your heart and mind. It, it erects a military perimeter to prevent an overwhelming deluge of anxious thoughts from crowding out his word. That's the image. Jesus then leaving that house. And if he had a contingent around him of armed individuals who were going to get him over to Jairus' house, and the people can't inundate him because they are erecting a perimeter. That's the image of the peace of God. It, it posts a sentry. How do you do that? How do we get our mind protected? What well, says? And everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The reason why I bring this up, a stupid illustration of this, sometimes we think, prayer doesn't work, I didn't get what I wanted. It doesn't say here that you get what you ask for, does it? Present your request and you'll get them. Not what it says. Or that you get peaceful feelings. I don't feel peaceful, so there must be something wrong with my prayers. You ever do that? You pray, and you still feel tense and anxious, and you think something must be wrong? No, it isn't. Do you know what prayer helps you do? It doesn't help you eliminate tension. It helps you endure it. it helps you endure it. And have some space left for God thoughts. It's not a mood. God's peace is not an addiction. It's not a mood-altering substance. It's something that can help you not to use mood-altering substances. Because you can be real with them about what you're dealing with. And know that you're not alone. That he walks with you. Just as you are. And he wants you then to tell him about the things you're concerned about. He really wants to hear about that but not so that he can give you everything you want, but so that as you tell him, the peace of God will help, again, protect your heart and mind. And so here's something. As you think about the new year, um, you might be facing difficult stretches of road. A couple of thoughts. Well, really, one thought with two different places. Don't determine that you're going to spend eight hours in prayer every day. Don't. Do a couple simple things. Psalm 23. What about if moving that into your brain? It really is a wonderful psalm. Really wonderful. Do you memorize that? Think about it. Write about it. Spend some time putting it in your brain. And then when you think about that, and maybe you go over it every morning. Just think about it. Just you, when you just or at nighttime. Some of you are better at night or midday. And then when you do that, talk to him briefly about your day. Thank him. He thinks I'm not alone today. In fact, that's what you might do when you think of the psalm. Thanks that you're my shepherd. I shall not want. Thanks that you make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. Thanks you're going to restore my soul. You're going to lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to be with me. You're rod and your staff. They're going to comfort me. You're going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You're going to anoint my head with oil. And the deal is my cup overflows. Goodness and loving kindness is going to follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to dwell in your house forever. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm concerned about my folks. I'm concerned about my job. I'm concerned about my life. I'm concerned about my son. Would you help me be the dad I need to be, the mom I need to be, the sister I need to be, the worker I need to be? Just help me know what to do. I don't know what to do with my job here. And and you say those things, and as you do so, Devin, come on up. We, the thoughts that stay in place and the peace of God that'll that keeps anxious thoughts not from I mean, but from overwhelming the peace of God ends up 
allowing your heart and mind to stay focused on Jesus, making space for him. Pray for us. Father, I'm glad that you don't tell us that don't worry. You're more practical than that. You do encourage us to make a place for your word, to hear it, retain it, by perseverance, produce a crop. As part of the perseverance process, it seems to indicate that your peace is that which can enable us to endure tension. And you tell us that by being thankful for the things that you will do and that you give us, that we're to present our request to you. And you tell us on the far side of that, on a daily basis, your peace, which transcends understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Keep enough space for your thoughts to stay in our head, not being crowded, choked, thronged aside. Thanks for being practical about walking with you during this life, things that we will think about. Thanks that we're not without a shepherd. The road might not look good, but we do have a good shepherd. And that means we're going to end at a good place. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.